last Monday, when my wife Mary Beth picked up our three-year-old son Henry from preschool, she asked him what he learned about in school that day. He said, we learned about Easter. She asked, what did you learn about Easter? <laughs> and he said, we learned about the Easter bunny and how he brings you eggs with jelly beans. <laughs> Mary Beth, with her solid Midwest Reformed theology upbringing, was shocked. <laughs> she immediately charged out and get on, got on Amazon and ordered up some like Jesus-centered books to, <laughs> to teach him teach him the real deal. With all the peeps and the eggs and the fake grass with the 90 million chocolate bunnies sold every year with $2.6 billion of candy consumed in America alone over Easter. It's easy to forget the point of the whole thing. Which brings us back to Mary Beth's question. What is Easter about? To answer that, let's dive into the gospel reading for today. Matthew 28. Hey guys, welcome in. For the majority of this liturgical year, we've been following Matthew's gospel, Matthew's story of the life and work of Jesus. By now, we are well acquainted with Matthew's audience, a primarily Judean group hearing this story sometime after the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in 70 of the Common Era. Because of that audience, Matthew tends to reference scripture consistently, which he does again in the beginning of this reading today. After the Sabbath, after the Sabbath, after the day of rest, after the day on which God rested in the fullness of creation. Here again, God has completed a new creation. It is an affirmation of everything that was and is and is to come a new way of relating to God that clears the way for justice, hope, and unity. As this new world is dawning in the darkness of the earliest hours of the day, two women walk through the biggest city in their culture to properly tend to the body of their teacher and friend who was brutally, brutally beaten and died right before their eyes, days before. These women walk through a city that is occupied by the very forces that killed their friend, the Roman Empire, and the Judean religious leaders who arrested Jesus. Women walking through the streets of a city during a festival in the dark. This was dangerous, but they go anyway. I've said this before and I'll say it again and again and again and again. 
first people to whom Jesus appears are women. The greatest news of all history is revealed to women. It's not the disciples, Jesus' closest male companions, who go to clean Jesus' body. Matthew notes two women, the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Mary, wife of Clopas, Mary of, Mary, of James and Joseph, possibly Jesus' aunt. That's the way early Christian tradition thinks of her. These two Marys, these women went as soon as they could, despite the danger, because they loved Jesus. Throughout this passage, we see a combination of fear and love, or fear and joy. As the women approach the tomb to tend to their beloved, they see that it is guarded. It is guarded by armed men, men who have been hired because they are tough, because they are the biggest, strongest guys around. As if things weren't scary enough, suddenly there's an earthquake. We Californians might be a little more sensitive to, to, to that. A shifting of tectonic plates deep within the earth. The huge stone that caused the entrance to the tomb that closed it up has been rolled away and the guards of the tomb, these armed soldiers, these tough guys, the bouncers, are terrified. Scared stiff. For good reason. An angel came with the earthquake, moved a gigantic stone, and looks like lightning. Lightning. Those of you who might have grown up in areas where lightning is more prevalent recognize that this is also not just a pretty, beautiful thing. It is dangerous. angel says to the women do not be afraid he has been raised go tell the disciples so, amazingly they are able to comprehend what the angel is saying and they go uh, maybe they're just ready to go but while the Mar two Marys are on their way Jesus shows up boom again this unexpected weirdness like lightning Got to love what, the, what Jesus says to these women. Greetings. <laughs> Greetings. <laughs> like some kind of space creature from the 50s sci-fi movie era. Greetings. Like a postcard from some coastal city in the Greek Isles. Jesus is back with a postcard from the dead. St. Mike's resident uh, historian and Greek attaché, Professor John W. I. Lee, who is around here somewhere, uh, said that a variant of this greeting affixes tombstones in ancient Greece as if the dead were speaking to their living visitors. And here Jesus, recently dead, a bit zombie, is speaking to his faithful followers. 
And the women are overwhelmed with emotion. Out of instinct, they fall at Jesus' feet. Our one-year-old son, Jimmy, is going through a phase of separation anxiety. Uh, it's hard for him when we leave the house. Uh, when I leave in the morning, he clings to my legs and looks up at me and cries, Dada? Dada? <laughs> in that same way, these women cling to the feet of Jesus. They're full of joy at seeing him again, but they are terrified. They don't know what to make of this zombie Jesus. They're scared that he might leave. They're scared of the angels, scared of the Jewish authorities, scared of the Romans, and scared to face this unknown that is right before them. That is why Jesus says, do not be afraid. Fear and joy. Fear and joy. It's strange to think about how often these two emotions are actually juxtaposed, right? We don't think of them as being combined, but they're very common. Think, everything from like roller coasters and skydiving and surfing to thriller movies to childbirth to parenting to learning. The fear of not knowing and then that joy of discovery Perhaps the most common juxtaposition of the fear and joy is in our relationships. This Thursday, Mary Beth and I celebrated our fourth wedding anniversary. <laughs> Those days right before our wedding were so full of emotion. I barely slept for like three nights. It's horrible. <laughs> We had so many friends and family coming. There were so many decisions, so many things that needed to happen. I was finishing up a song I wrote for Mary Beth for our rehearsal dinner. But mostly, I was overwhelmed with fear and joy. I felt the joy of having found the woman with whom I wanted to spend the rest of my life. But also fear. Fear that the wedding might not go well. Fear that she might change her mind. <laughs> <laughs> but mostly the fear of the unknown. Whether I knew it or not, I was about to become someone else. I'd still be myself, but it'd be a different me. So it was with Jesus. The resurrected Jesus is the same, but different. He is both the same human being and the symbol of a transformed Universe, both and, not either or. Franciscan friar Richard Rohr talks about how the resurrected Jesus is non dualistic. From a dualistic perspective, everything is black or white. You're either with us or against us. You either, either want to participate in the global economy or you want to make America great again, either or. There's a time for that dualistic thinking. For instance, it's helpful to know left from right, tomatoes from apples, Cheerios 
from Fruit Loops. <laughs> Important decisions of our lives. However, dualistic thinking is less helpful in poetry, in art, and in contemporary physics. To Rohr, non-dualistic thought is essential to contemplating the resurrection in God. In non-dualism, fear and joy exist together. Death and life exist together. Love and enemies exist together. Opposites do not necessarily contradict. Rather, they inform and deepen one another. As such, Jesus' resurrection is not just life after death, but it is life and death transformed together. Following Jesus implies that we stepped into this transformed way. To follow Jesus, we have to risk what we have been for what we will be. Ironically, it takes the risk of ourselves to find ourselves, to know the truth of our lives connected to God and neighbor. So for our anniversary, I, you know, we uh, I went down to LA. I uh, actually rode down with Des on the train, um, and uh, we had a night downtown LA, which was really fun. That's where Mary Beth works. So I got her post call. She's a midwife. She was post call in the hospital. And I got to see the hospital and meet the folks she works with. But on our way back, our train home was delayed. And I had this moment of sitting right in the heart of, of everybody coming and going. And Mary Beth had gone uh, to use the restroom. And I was watching this immense diversity of people coming and going in, this, in the train station in L.A. It was amazing people watching. <laughs> great outfits, great just culture right before me, but I couldn't help thinking about all the injustices in the world, all the struggles that people I was watching pass were dealing with, immigration, bigotry, religious persecution, environmental destruction, the neglect of our children in their educations, political <clears throat> division and indifference. As people rushed to and from their trains, I wondered, what does this matter to them? How do they experience Easter? What do they see? How do they see the world transformed by Christ's resurrection? And the answer was simple. They see it in you. We are called to be the body of Christ, resurrected, transformed, to bring about God's kingdom here and now. In that work, we step into both and, both God and you. Sometimes the work before us alone seems impossible. But Jesus did the impossible. Now it's our turn. Not alone. Both fully God and fully you. We step into this unknown by risking what we have and for the sake of our transformed, truer selves. That is where we find our true selves together in connection. And that is the message the risen Christ has for his followers. A message about what to do next. About where to look for God. That message was simple. Go to Galilee. Go home. Go where you belong. Go be exactly who you are. Because that is where you will meet God. 
That is where you will begin this new way. That is where life eternal, the resurrected newness, will fill you up. God will do something new in you, something unexpected, something that only you can do. And that something will transform the world. It starts where it began. It starts where you partner with God. Amen.